Husbands, be tough for your wife, but be tender with her. Amen. I wish I would have heard those words as a young man. Young married man. As a young married man. Yes, because there is a toughness about being a man. There's a toughness about the work that I think is required of men. Not to say women aren't tough. Right. That's not a conversation. Or, now, yeah, I'm not to, please don't read that kind of stuff into it. But the point here I'm trying to make is that at times our toughness can be toughness in the wrong place. Hmm. So we'd be tough for our wives, yet tender with them. So today we're going to talk through kind of how to do that, where that phenomenon even really comes from. Obviously it comes from scripture, but we're going to unpack that. And hopefully it'll enliven men's hearts, husbands' hearts, to be tender intentionally with their wives at home and with their children at home in a way that they aren't outside of the home and and that their uh, their toughness mm-hmm. would be amplified by the knowledge knowing that this is a good thing. There's a good and right place to have toughness. Also, I'm hoping that wives will learn maybe how to understand their husbands just a little bit better. So we'll do that on the other side. So I think you need to do us all a favor and define what do you mean by toughness or being tough because yeah. men can be tough but then closed off. Okay, yeah. So what is to what their I, wives or what What do you mean? <clears throat> what do you mean? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, there is something to be said about, you know, some of the caricatures of manliness, right? The guy, people like John Wayne... You have this stoicness about you. you. You're just kind of gritty. You have, you know, there's that side. I think there's some truth to that, but then there's dangers in that, right? There was right. a whole, the pendulum swung. I, I don't if you remember, but like back when uh, like promise keepers was a thing, right? The big thing with promise keepers was that men have feelings too, basically. Like men can cry and men can, you know, and I think that itself was a the pendulum swinging away from like men aren't supposed to show emotion. Men mm. aren't supposed to, they're supposed to be stoic. So there's always this kind of cultural pendulum swinging. Mm-hmm. And when that Promise Keepers thing happened, I think this was on the, um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I think this is where I heard this. Mark Driscoll comes onto the scene and he's like totally pushing back against like he would call it effeminate men, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, men should, you know, they need to be tough. They need to be leaders. They need to be, you know, kind of that wild at heart. You yeah. know, you should want to go, like, conquer a mountain. You should want to kill a deer. You should want to, like, skin it with your teeth. So what I'm hearing, though, is that the toughness without the tenderness isn't actually, it's not It's not really what you should be striving after or asking the Lord to help you yeah, with. Well, you, you need that balance, yeah? Absolutely. When I'm, yeah. In a, in a nutshell. Because, like, I so, want you to go slay things for us and protect us, and I want to have a man, right. a husband who's strong and who's going to take charge and who's going to lead, but I don't want that if it costs us our right. relationship or it costs us, cost, you know, you not being able to know how to be tender with our children yeah. or with me. So I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, the t- yeah there is a – a toughness and a tenderness and it's never going to be on the far ends of that bell curve mm-hmm. like scripture is pretty down the middle with this kind of stuff and we tend to distort it amplify it and, and turn it into we, we, we go too far off either end either uh, what side of the scale yeah so the point i'm trying to make here is that there is a toughness that is that is i think intrinsic to a man mm-hmm. i'll use i use the example 
By the way, this is coming out of a chapter of, of a book that's going to be releasing here in a few, hopefully by God's grace, in time for Christmas, because um, we have to go through all the different printing. Is it, it takes a long time with supply chain issues. Uh, but this is a, ch- a chapter called The Precision and the Power. Hmm. And it's it's the husband paradox where it's like you have uh, this power in that you are designed as a man to work the ground, to bring forth fruit from the earth, mm-hmm. to not toil, but labor, to yeah. work. There's a toughness there. Um, and there's, a, there's a power there. But there's also needs to be a precision. And the example that I love is heavy machinery. So I have a good friend. We have a good friend who is really good with bulldozers, tractors, those sorts of things, excavators. And so he <clears throat> turns me on to these videos that are like, just like ninjas with these machines. <laughs> I, I went down a YouTube rabbit trail one day and I found this video of somebody, a guy who had taped with like duct tape. Uh, it looked like a, almost like a, a, a steak knife to the fork or to the tooth of, of like a 72 inch excavator bucket. Like these are the machines that literally move mountains. <laughs> and he's, he's taped this steak knife to the tooth of this bucket. And he rests a, a cucumber on top of a balloon and with the machine he's in the machine controlling it cuts the cucumber in half without popping the balloon oh, man. that's ultimate precision <laughs> with magnificent power and i feel like that's a good analogy for maybe the, the husband paradox right because we have this this uh this mode of being that if that mode of being doesn't morph and transform you don't you don't learn the tender side of it when you step into your right. through, the, through the front door right um sometimes it can mean that you're a little bit too tough with yeah. your wife and i don't mean i mean tough like just harsh maybe not as patient maybe not as whatever um so i don't know that that, that that's kind of what we're that's something i've been processing through is and that's something i process through as a young husband is like how do i how, how am i how can i be tough for my wife outside i mean i want to go out and earn i want to go out and slay the whatever the beast and skin it and bring it home and present it before my bride as this magnificent meal. But like, I don't want to come through the door with blood all over my face and scare all my kids. Right. Like they're just not ready for that yet. And so, uh, I wrestled through that a little bit. So let's process through this. So, and the, the premise, the premise is this, is that even in Eden. Okay. I think oftentimes we think garden of Eden. Perfect. Right. What right. comes to your mind when you think garden of Eden? Just glowing fruit, <laughs> glowing everything, clear water. Glowing fruit, not literally <laughs> just, glowing, but just radiant. Well, because, yeah, it's radiant, I guess, because it's untainted and it's pure and it's the original, the first of its kind, you know. Bananas and so, so big, you call them banana, nana, nanas. <laughs> banana, nanas, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but what, okay. you don't think of work. Okay, so but you I see do. fruit, you see flourishing trees, grass, rivers. Yes. Uh, what do you see Adam and Eve doing in the garden? I'm just thinking, what's the general view of Eden? And I guess, well, you know, I mean, what they've listed in the Bible, Adam's naming the animals, and then when Eve comes along, I just, yeah, I imagine, I do imagine they're tending a garden. Like I imagine mm-hmm. that they are grabbing all the, you know, the fruit. Mm-hmm. They're gathering. They're harvesting. I don't know if they have a house. It seemed like the temperature was pretty nice, and they could just be out and about, you know. Yeah. So the thought of, you know, working to live. I mean, they were in the presence of God. I don't know what else you would need, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, 
so they did do that. So in that, we see that picture in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, God placed Adam in the garden to yeah. specifically work the land. He did put him to the task of naming. Mm-hmm. Like that's the beginning of dominion. Like There's so much to be said about naming something. Yeah. Putting a word to a thing as a like a, a dominion thing. That's part of the reason why we're having these culture wars we're having nowadays yeah. with pronouns and gender hospitality and all that stuff that's happening around. It's all about like owning the namespace. Yeah. Uh, I recently was looking at a domain name that I was thinking about picking up. I, I don't know why I love... Uh, there, there's a namespace out there. And you, if someone owns the namespace, they are going to make you pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so... There's dominion being exercised already in the garden, but Adam and Eve were working already. Work was good. It mm-hmm. wasn't until the fall where the work became toil. What makes it toil? The thorns, the struggle, the fact that the ground would not yield its crop mm-hmm. readily. So that indicates that in Eden, the crops would readily grow. There was a flourishing. There was a, a yeah. thriving that was happening. And it was done in, in joy, and it was done with perfect you know, relationship with God right. and perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. And I got to think they were there for yeah. a while because, I mean, if you're in the garden and there's every good, like every tree was good for, for eating basically, mm-hmm. right? You've got animals enough to keep you busy. Like you got a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself, you know, Eve's in the, in the garden, you know, bored. <laughs> the serpent says, hey, doesn't this fruit look good? Yeah, she wasn't on her own, though. So he must have been there for a while, <laughs> doing work. Yeah. Genesis one twenty eight: be fruitful, multiply. This was the, the cultural um, mandate. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. In other words, ha- and have dominion, is what God told Adam and Eve. So even in the garden, there was this sense that I need to go, and I need to put this planet to work. Mm-hmm. And, and I will take great joy in doing that. Hmm. And so... Yeah, the toil has definitely taken out the joy of the work. I mean, not to talk about wives and women and being a mother, but that was kind of something I was struggling with like this last month Mm -hmm. or so of finding the joy in the work because you can see it posted all over social media, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the beauty of motherhood and the beauty of the outdoors and I'm just sitting here thinking, man, they had to pack all those bags. They had to get in the car. They had to argue in the car. Somebody needed a snack. Like all of the things that actually happened versus just this one picture, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It's funny. It, what you're saying is that the social media has a way of highlighting the work and downplaying the toil. Yes. And, in places like that. And I think that, you know, after we talked about, we went to this conference and they, and you know... Uh, Doug Wilson was talking about how there's joy and there's hope and there's goodness to be found in the work that the Lord's given you. That was very clarifying and I think helped my faith grow. And it reminded me that this work that we do as husband, wife, parents, people, um, it's not in vain. It's for God's glory. And all the snack requests, all the arguments in the car, all the things that we just have to go through, um, they're an opportunity for God to be glorified in. Yeah. And so, but it takes an understanding, I think. That work is good. It's yeah. intrinsically good. It's not part of the curse. The curse made the work toil. Right. And uh, we can focus on the work. Or we can focus on the toil. But I think the point I want to draw out here is that it was pre-fall when these then this mandate was handed down. Yeah. To be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, mm-hmm. take dominion. There was pre-fall 
differences between men and women. And they work themselves mm. out in both their assignments, in other words, in both how they are assigned, but how they are designed. Mm. So there is goodness to be found in, in recognizing and embracing the design, the design of God and the assignments that he's given us as men, as women, as husbands, yeah. as wives. Yeah. And so uh, part, uh, even just saying that is like modern <laughs> rebellion, right? It's like heresy on the modern stage. Uh, but the Christian rebellion doesn't just stop with saying the truth. We must yeah. also live it out. So what does this look like to actually live this out? Are there actually differences? Okay, so we can take, uh, biblically, we can take that for granted. We can say yes and amen. There are differences. There's a thing called headship. There's a thing called helpership. Maybe not that exact word, but there are helper, heads and helpers. Um, and we can embrace them and love them and, and love those roles because they're made by God as, as a means for us to love one another and to mm-hmm. love him and to glorify him. We can take that and say, yes, amen. I'm really curious at how this has played out on a large scale. And so... Um, by this, you mean? By th- these un- these inbaked realities, rather inbuilt. These inbuilt realities of, like, you're, you're a woman, you're designed and assigned differently, mm-hmm. and I'm designed and assigned differently. Mm-hmm. Do those work out, um, work themselves out in the cultural... Hmm. moment that we're in and also throughout history and so i don't know how long ago it was uh there was a bunch of scientists a bunch of psychologists I, sh- I should say they went and um did a bunch of study tons of empirical data and they wanted to find like what are the kind of uh essential human personality traits and those traits that would be kind of care they would characterize humans themselves mm-hmm. in varying degrees so like you might have traits one through three while traits one and two or you know four and five are maybe on a le- to a lesser degree what are those traits and how do those work themselves out so the five traits are this we're going to put something on the screen for you um if you're watching uh neuroticism openness conscientiousness extroversion and agreeableness okay hmm. so they went and found these traits and they said okay we know these traits are real we've done all this work we've written all these papers this is like mainstream psychological stuff it's well accepted well researched now they started asking themselves or they started observing rather that there are patterns and tendencies like so hmm. you can see patterns and tendencies and ha- that were correlated with sex and, and or gender which they're one and the same right. so in other words do the women tend to have certain traits to a greater degree do men tend to have certain traits different traits to mm-hmm. another degree and, right. and do they separate themselves naturally and what they found and why do they yeah what they found is yeah um there there is a significant uh separation separation then the next question was um why? and a lot of this this comes from jordan peterson by the way and some of the stuff that he's he's done um he's the pro on this this is not me i'm just kind of like restating some of the stuff i've, I've heard him talk about then they wanted to know like what uh yeah why are these changes there is, is it based on what their their gender or so a, so a biological factor? Was that the mm-hmm. determining factor? Or was it a psychological factor? I think yeah. So bi- is it biological and that it's that difference is only accounted for because of biology and all the things that come along with biology, which we'll talk that talk about that in a second, or was it a sociocultural mm-hmm. thing? And is it socio sociocultural,ly informed? In other words, is it because the society you're growing up in is encouraging certain traits in, yeah. in women and, and other traits in men? So therefore, you're going to fall into Age those traits. Question. Yeah, and it's it, and so they asked <laughs> yeah. that question. So they said, okay, we can figure this out. And the way they did that is they went and looked at a whole 
the whole like gamut of societies. So you have complementarian societies, more traditional. You know, you've got the traditional roles, and then you've got more egalitarian societies, which are completely like there's no gender wage disparity. Uh, there's no gap there, and I think the way they looked at it is: do the policies are the policies egalitarian, whether or not they're lived out perfectly, but are mm. the policies egalitarian? And, and in in those societies, where do the sexes land? Hmm. And what they found was. The, and I guess what the the theory was is that if in an, in an egalitarian, an egalitarian society, you would see that the that the distribution would be completely equal. Mm-hmm. That you'd find men on, you know, ha- half men what, would be over here. Half this is what they were hoping yeah. for. Yeah, and that everybody would be the same across the board. There wouldn't be any meaningful distinction between the traits and how they work themselves out in society. Right. That's the theory. Well, they went and tried to find. They assumed that's what they would find, but they found the opposite. In other words, in places like Norway, you have men doing all the men jobs. You have women doing all the stereotypically women jobs. So things like nursing, like women tend to, to gravitate more toward that before they would gravitate toward being a, a framer mm-hmm. or being a coal miner, right? They're going to gravitate toward jobs that are, that are geared toward tenderness where men are going to gravitate towards jobs that have to do with toughness. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are, I guess, the terms that I'm Pretty using. big generalizations, too. At, well, they're big generalizations, but that's yeah. what the data right. bore out. Right. Um, and so, and then you have other, uh, maybe dimensions of that, where you have more interconnected jobs, more interconnected ways of living, and then more isolated ways of living. And, mm. I, and I'm guessing there's going to be a divide there as well. Yeah. The point is, is that as, as men, I'm trying to make the case in this chapter of, of the book, that biblically speaking, men are designed differently and this bears itself out. And we yeah. need to be mindful of that so we don't come into the, the front door as a bulldozer and instead we come in as something else, something more gentle. As a husband. As, as a, a husband. Father. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the question is how? Yeah. You know, how do we do this? And how, how do we, I think the first step is being... Um, well, I mean, can you identify the so contrasting this? You're saying not coming in as a bulldozer. So, what would that look like for a man coming home from work or coming home from a, a trip, or even you know, I think in the rare the special cases of you know somebody coming home from deployment and dealing with the effects of PTSD or uh, you know encounter yeah. with war. So, like, what what does it look like for a man to come home with the wrong kind of toughness as a bulldozer versus the toughness that is needed. It, it almost seems like the toughness that should be f- facing outward. So out from the front door, we are back to the, your home, right? Like you're defending, you're protecting, you're you're working, but you're you're doing it for the protection of your family and your home. Yeah. Whereas if you flipped that and you brought yourself in, and you're fighting at home, and you're it, it, all the efforts that should be yeah. out there are now. Being directed yeah, you in need here, to, you need to be a lion outside, but a lamb in the home. Right, and that's if you're a lion in the home. That's why that's where your wife's going to start to feel tore up. Right. Um, right. I guess I'm just want to make some clear examples. That's really of that. good. So I, let's talk about the example of the military. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, there are husbands that have spent you know a year plus. I remember working as a janitor, and, and <laughs> all the military years, guys used yeah. to come into the apartment building. And some of them, and I worked there for two years, and some of them would deploy for three months, usually you know, the, special, the special forces yeah. guys, and they would see some pretty crazy, things. crazy stuff. Yeah. Then you had the kind of the, the um, maybe the second lieutenant types who would be gone for maybe 16 months or 18 months or whatever. The, it was a longer period. Mm-hmm. 
And so these men are out there. They're, they're having to be tough. They're having to endure, you know, a tough living situation. They're having to be emotionally tough. They're away from their wife and the kids. Like that, I don't know what man that doesn't tear apart. Mm-hmm. If you have young kids, they're growing up while you're overseas. Like mm-hmm. that's really hard. So they're being tough. Mm-hmm. They're being tough with other soldiers. And I mean, these guys are not... Well, and they're being tough 24-7. And I mean, 24/7. yes, they're resting, but they're in this culture. They're in mm-hmm. this um, headspace of... We had a podcast a while back with Stephen and Brooke Elliott, and Stephen was a, a, a ranger. He saw unspeakable things. And he... Literally he, unspeakable. He couldn't yeah, talk about and, them. <laughs> yeah, because of the nature of his work. Um, listen, listen to that episode, by the way. He was a part of the um, friendly... or the, Yeah, the friendly fire incident with Pat Tillman. And... Um, in many ways, he was a scapegoat in that whole situation. Um, but that caused an immense amount of PTSD. So he comes home to Brooke, and she's used to this. They're fairly newly married. Yeah. And he just he's having to flip a switch from being somebody who has seen and killed and seen killed and seen brothers of his killed, yeah. brothers in arms, and seeing things and living in a certain way for a period of time and dealing with all the, right, the, the change, toughness there. The change, but then coming the home, parachuting in, not literally, but parachuting in, into the home and being like... No one understands, right. what, and this is what every veteran deals with, right? Is that no one knows what it's like, yeah. and that's an extreme example. But I think, in a sense, men have like there's always going to be that sense that I'm at work, I'm having to be tough with coworkers, employees, and I mean tough, not like reprimanding them, no, but tough but as in you have to manage them. It's a different puff kind your chest of... out. You know, you're acting professional. You're task oriented. You have to produce, decorum. get the job yeah. done, do the good work right. that you were designed to do. Yeah. And toil in the process, that's part of the fall, and look to Christ in that. But and then come home through the front door, tired, worn out. Ready to just embrace your family. And somehow flip a switch that says, now I'm going to be a lamb. Yeah. I'm going to be tough out there, and I'll be tender here. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, like, well, we've, we've well, had a few cases in, in our lives where, I mean. Well, and it's not saying that you can't feel like, you know, when – when sales are down or things are not looking super great, right, for us, <laughs> praise God by his grace, we have consistently been uh, taken care of. But that affects you. Yeah. Like if they're, if, if the ground is not producing the harvest, that, produ- that, that affects him to a deeper level. And as it should, you know, because men yeah. are placed in these roles as providers. Again, not that women yeah. can't. This is not the conversation. But they are the head, and so if they're the spiritual head, then they're supposed to be able to lead and provide that instruction for knowing God and worshiping God and understanding the things of God. And so, again, that pouring that over into work, right? If, if things are going really badly at work, you don't have to hide that from your spouse, but I think there's ways that you can mm-hmm. you can talk about it, you can deal with it. How can we be praying, wife? Like how can how can as a wife I can say how can I be praying for you today? I know that this has been a really tough season. Um, you know, prices on everything are going up, but salary and pay is not. And so there's there's a stretch on families. There's yeah. there's pressure, there's stress. And so how do we how do we as a wife welcome our hardworking husband? You know, coming home. And how can we love him well in a way that honors God and glorifies God? But then, yeah, how does the husband come in and kind of decompress maybe a little bit before he walks in the door so that there's not just a, kids, be quiet, I can't, I'm so tired, I can't deal with this. Like, there's got to be some some ways to transition and, and how to communicate through that. Yeah, so I think maybe a few tangible ways to deal with the husband paradox. Okay, one, 
recognize that it exists, that there is a toughness. And it's good. There's a toughness that is toil-free. It's the kind that you employ to finish a hard task, mm. right? Mm-hmm. To make good on your promises, uh, to love, or excuse me, to solve difficult problems, yeah. to lift heavy things, right? There's a toughness that you employ, yeah. and there's a joy, toil-free aspect of that yeah. kind of toughness. But when you get home, like you recognize that there's a change that has to happen. When I, I like the analogy of maybe a, uh, somebody who's working on a big diesel engine or like a boat engine. Mm-hmm. And I said this to you today as I was processing th- through some of the writing. I said, your wife is not a rusty bolt to be broken with a wrench and a cheater bar. <laughs> like she doesn't need the torque. She doesn't, <laughs> she's tender. She doesn't need to be like wrenched like that. <laughs> the point is, is that you have to switch roles, like change sure. your clothes, put a different hat on. And I'm not, maybe literally, maybe not, but whatever it takes, like recognize that the change is needed figure out a way to make the change well and understand it's a part of who you are like how god has purposed and designed you right right and i love the analogy you said like when i'm out when i'm facing outward like i'm looking out from my front door maybe potentially at a hostile land Mm. i will be tough with that land Mm -hmm. in the name of protecting my family but when i turn around and i look inside right my face falls in in the most disarming way Mm -hmm. i'm no longer you know you know, furrowing my brow. I'm, I'm now looking with open wide eyes at the, at the mm-hmm. ones the Lord has given me to steward. Yeah. Knowing full well that I, you know, that you can make that, that switch. So I think, yeah, recognize the, that there's a, a switch that needs to be flipped. Figure out how to flip the switch in a good way. It doesn't mean you suppress how you feel. It doesn't, like we said, like it means you can process right. together. But go to ways. your helper now. Yes. She's not an opponent. She's your helper. And, and process with her. So that's for a husband. And I think just talk through that with your wife. Maybe talk through that dynamic. As a wife, quickly, I mean, sorry, I didn't put you on the spot here, but how, how can a wife help her husband to this end of the toil-free toughness, but also the tenderness at home? Yeah, I think there's a couple ways you can recognize, I think, just in action and thought. So um, as a wife, know if you know that your husband's you know dealing with some really intense problems at work, simple actions of making a meal that you know he really enjoys or having some sort of, hmm. uh, I hate to say special treat, but sometimes it's like a plate full of hot cookies on a cold day after a hard day's work like might be something that really warms hmm. his heart and like diffuses things and reminds him that he's home and that he can be safe and he can rest here. Um, and so you feed his feed his belly and feed his soul, right? And so, um, and then uh, secondly, I think recognizing that uh, if he comes in burdened, if he comes in tough, if he comes in swinging a little bit, remember it's probably not about you. There's probably other things that have been happening, and so don't take mm. a first offense to it. Not to say you again, you're not being a doormat, but just take a step back. Amen. Ask some questions nicely, out of love, out of wanting to understand, not out of policing, but out of wanting to understand, so that you can help and you can love. So those would be my answers. <sighs> I love it. Like you, you have a way of disarming my toughest defenses. That's, and I think every wife does. <laughs> well, but, if that, if they have that line, I think to their husband's heart, because it doesn't and always the, and work itself out that way. Right? I would argue that, that every wife has that line to her husband's heart. It's just how clear are those lines of communication? That's well, why. How are you using them too? And that's why we're writing yeah. books on communication. <laughs> but the picture, the, the, the example that comes to mind that I just love so much is from the movie 300 and it's where Leonidas is headed off to war to yeah. certain death yeah. and, he, and he's kissing his wife and they had, they had been 
together the night before and like she it's clear that they are in love that they mm-hmm. love one another and he's the, the soldiers have marched on he stays back he's talking to his wife and she looks at him and just says come back with your shield or on it yeah and he looks at her like okay come only, back with your shield or on it like only a wife can say a wife that. can say that to like go and win or die <laughs> in this life of pursuing christ of, of providing for your family go win or die trying type of thing now, obviously, we're not talking about physical death, but there is a sense that like that is what men need to hear because I need to know that I have a wife who's waiting for me to win for her right. and to do what it takes to win. And she's going to be there with soft, tender, open arms with a meal. Right. Not that you're just pers- a person who makes meals, but you're the person I'm doing it for. Right. And to be received in that way, it's more I think it's probably meal. one of the most powerful ways yeah. to flip that switch. Yeah. Um, and of course, it takes two, but you have unique ways of, of getting about yeah. that goal as yeah. a husband and as a wife. So however that, wherever that lands with you, fierce husband, fierce wife, you're listening, watching this video, talk through it. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to be tough outside the home? Mm-hmm. And what does it look like for you as the husband, your husband, if you're a wife, to be tender with you in the home? When have you won? When have you, when have you lost that mm-hmm. battle? Mm-hmm. When have you done well? When have you done poorly? Talk through that. Right. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fruitful. All of this is possible. Like this might sound, if we're talking about roles and you're thinking this is really grating, like I'm just going to tell you, like the data shows it. Like this is kind of how we're wired. Biology is real. It is a, there is a connection there in terms of like the way you're designed and the way you think. Um, that's because we have a creator who's real. Mm-hmm. We have a creator who carefully crafted, did the good work of creating us, mm-hmm. creating creation, mm-hmm. and then placed you there to steward it. And things broke. Adam and Eve broke everything, and we are complicit in that sin. Uh, in other words, we have a powerful, good creator who have we, we have rebelled against. And we will rebel against God mm-hmm. when it comes to our roles, too. This is why you get tyrannical husbands and you get usurping wives. You get passive wives, you get disengaged husbands, because there's distortions of these roles mm-hmm. that are the result of our rebellion from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. The only answer is to turn to Christ and to ask him, to help, mm-hmm. to forgive you of your sins, to make you a new creation so right. that you might live in step with the Spirit who is the helper that He sent. Um, if you want to know more about what that means, go to thenewsisgood.com. That'll get your foot on that path toward becoming a Christian, getting into a good church, yeah. and walking with Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are eternally good. Thank you for the gift it is to uh, be loved by you and to take that love and then extend it to one another in marriage. I pray that you would help the couples listening to this or watching this, that they would have a real sense that A, you are with them. B, you are for them. Mm. You're not against them. Mm. C, you are worthy of their entire lives. And D, that they are not hopeless because you are walking alongside them. I pray that they would feel your presence um, in a very real way. Uh, Help the husband struggling, walk with him. Help the wife struggling, walk with her. Mm bring life, bring light. You are life. You are the light that is our salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're still watching, still listening, thank you so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be able to do this without our awesome patrons. So if that's you, thank you. you. Uh, Virtual hug to you. Audio hug to you if you're listening to this. (laughs) Um, If you're not a partner of ours, uh, we would ask that you would consider it. And if the Lord leads, then you would take the next step and go to fiercemarriage.com slash partner. I just... I can't say it enough. Thank you to our partners. Mm-hmm. You guys, Selena mentioned sometimes when it's been really tough. We don't do ads on the podcast because I think they're distracting. 
and it's, it takes too much time to set them up and it's uh, it's frustrating and we just want we don't want any barriers to this content getting out to people and if you are a partner you're helping us not have ads so thank you um so yeah go to fiercemarriage.com slash partner and that is that is it for this episode of the fierce marriage podcast um which is now in the can <laughs> oh my <laughs> just, just. It's just All right. over. It's this episode done. of the Fierce Marriage Podcast is in the can. We'll see you again in seven days. Until next time. Stay fierce. <laughs> Almost 300 episodes. <laughs> Every single time. I'm pretty sure we've said that. Uh, I just get so excited. So excited.